text tonight is verses 25 through 29 in John chapter 5. And so if you could have that open in front of you, that would be helpful. And as we read the passage, you will have seen that it begins with the healing of a sick man at the pool of Bethesda. And we saw in the reading that the man had been ill for a very long time. And it was said that whenever there was a stirring in the water, the first person into the water would be healed. And this poor man could never get there first. He was totally helpless. But then the Lord Jesus came to him and healed him instantly. And he jumped up, picked up his bed, went on his way. And like a a number of other chapters in the Gospel of John, there is a miracle that is then followed by teaching of the Lord Jesus. And this is one of the ways the Lord Jesus Christ conducted his earthly ministry. There would be a miracle, a demonstration of his wonderful power and his authority affirming who he is. Before then, the explanation more of who he is and what he had come to do for sinners like us and how we can benefit from his gracious power. And that's a pattern that you see throughout the Gospel of John. And so in John 6, you have Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then he preaches on the subject of the bread of life and how he is the living bread. In John 9, the blind man is healed, followed by teaching that explains that he came for judgment into this world and those that do not see may see and those that think they do see may be made judicially blind. And then in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and after Lazarus comes out of the grave in those grave clothes, Jesus teaches that he is the resurrection and the life. And so you can see it's a a pattern throughout this gospel and that's what we've got here in this passage. The Lord Jesus performs the miracle, one of many which were done by Christ out of love and out of kindness. And then you have this powerful teaching. And just to say that these miracles, the miracles of the Lord Jesus, they were never done with the wrong intention. Never ever done to do his enemies harm. Never did he exercise his power in that way. He never performed an unkind miracle of any sort. And we see the great goodness of our Savior and the loveliness and the compassion and the tenderness of the Lord Jesus. But we also see that the Lord Jesus received no thanks for this miracle that he performed on this man. Instead, as we read together, the religious leaders, they want to kill the Savior. They want to put him to death. They hated him for this display of power for many reasons. Now, one of those reasons was that they said that he was breaking the Sabbath. And the law says to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. But there was no breaking of the Sabbath commandment by performing a miracle of healing. And it's not sin for a doctor to attend to a sick patient on the Sabbath day. Indeed, it is his duty to do so. And it is our duty to do good on the Sabbath day. And our Lord was doing nothing but good. But the Pharisees are an example of those who are dead in their strictness it is possible to be like that it's interesting that the bible says in ecclesiastes 7 do not be overly righteous now what does that mean well it's what these pharisees were they took the law and they they stretched it to such extremes to the point where you could hardly breathe and it was a an abuse they corrupted it with all manner of man-made laws And so they had things like, you know, you mustn't boil a kettle on the Sabbath because steam might go into the atmosphere and that steam might then wash off dirt from the walls and so you'd be working. Ridiculous. 
You know, there is nothing so dead as dead religion. And that's what these Pharisees have. But, you know, the essence of true religion, as we touched on this morning, is love and kindness. And the Lord is the embodiment of all that. Love and kindness. And yet, what thanks did he get? And they tried to kill him. Because according to them, the perfect, holy Son of God broke the law. And of course, he didn't. And they also hated him because he claimed to be the Son of God. They hated him as they accused him of blasphemy. And so these things motivated him and indeed motivated them to try and put him to death. And it's in that context, in the the doing of the miracle, the opposition of the Pharisees, the deadness of that religion, that we then get this amazing teaching concerning two resurrections. And look, if you will, at verses 25 and then 28 to 29. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And then he says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming, in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So let's look at these two things together. The first resurrection in verse 25. Jesus tells us very clearly that the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and shall live. Now what the Lord Jesus is talking about here is the resurrection of the soul, a spiritual resurrection. People have two parts, a body and a soul. And we cannot see the soul, it lives in the body, but what happens at death is this, your soul leaves the body and it goes into the immediate presence of God. That is what happens at death, the soul leaves the body. And that's why James says that the body without the spirit is dead and that is what constitutes death for the human being. When the soul leaves the body, then death has occurred. Now our Lord here is talking about the resurrection of the soul in this life. As people living in this life, their soul will be brought into life, into a resurrected state. He means that those saved, those granted life by him, will hear his voice speaking in the gospel. The gospel is where Christ speaks. And the Lord Jesus says that as men and women and young people hear the gospel preached, something will be happening according to the purposes of God. And he explains that as they are given to hear his voice speaking in the gospel by the work of the Holy Spirit, they're going to be brought into a state of spiritual resurrection. They are going to be brought from death to life, from spiritual death to spiritual life. The same power at work in them as that which raised Christ from the dead. It's a glorious thing from death to life. And as a result, it is clear that the Bible teaches that we are all by nature born spiritually dead. All of us are by nature dead in trespasses and sins. And you know, we can see that all around us. You know, just switch on the news or read the latest notification when it comes on your phone or turn the pages of your newspaper. It's a commentary on a world that is ruined by sin. And people who are spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins, and that's why they do the awful things that they do. You know, why these cruel and devastating and nasty things happen. 
It's why people make war against one another. It's why even still there are people committing horrible atrocities against others, blowing people up and blowing themselves up. We're all ruined, sinful by nature, in rebellion against God, dead in trespasses and sins. And now, my friend, you need to know this. This death cannot be changed in you or in me without the voice of the Son of God speaking through the gospel to give us new life. That's what the Lord Jesus is talking about here. New life, it's a wonderful thing. You know, we even have the the necessity for this in churches like our own. You know, people can hear the gospel message over and over and over again, and it never makes the slightest impression on their lives. You know, some of you are in that position here tonight. You know, the gospel is very, very simple. It tells us that we are sinners. It tells us that we cannot save ourselves. It tells us that we need to repent of our sin and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his person, his work on the cross, his glorious resurrection. To repent and believe. That is the way to forgiveness. That is the way to be made right with God through the only Savior. And many people, they hear the message again and again and again, and it makes no difference. They hear it, they go home, they forget it. And they hear it next week and again and other opportunities. Now, why should that be? Why do they not act upon it? Why do they never seek God or ask him to give them the new birth that they need? The answer is because their souls are dead, spiritually dead. They do not hear the voice of the Son of God because they're spiritually dead. They do not have those ears to hear It's what our Lord Jesus said on several occasions in the Gospels. He said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, we cannot even hear the the message of the Gospel until we have this spiritual resurrection. Every faculty of the soul is spiritually dead. Our, Our mind, our conscience, our affections, our will, everything is dead within us until we hear this voice of the Son of God. And that is the great, great thing of the gospel, by God's grace, as soon as people hear the voice of the Son of God, their soul comes alive. You know, that's the explanation for what you read about at Pentecost as Peter is preaching at Jerusalem. At the end of the message, what do the people cry out? They say, what must we do to be saved? You know, that's that's what happens when you hear the voice of the Son of God. You, You don't just leave and go on and Get on with whatever in your life you need to know. You need to know the answer. What must I do? And when people hear the voice of God speaking to them in the gospel, they want to know, how can I be saved? What is the answer to my greatest problem? How do I come to Jesus Christ? You know, when someone asks those types of questions, it is a hopeful sign that they are now at last hearing the voice of the Son of God, the inward voice which Christ alone can give. You know, there's a a famous example which maybe you've heard before, but in Bristol many, many years ago, there was a young preacher and uh, he was preaching to the miners in Bristol and his name was George Whitfield. Now, at this stage, he wasn't very well known, but God was going to use him mightily across the world. He would be a great and mighty preacher of the gospel. But anyway, this young man was was preaching to the miners in the open air, George Whitfield, 
And the crowd, as he looked out across them, they were a, a sea of faces blackened with, with soot and coal dust, etc. And the miners were, were standing in rows listening to Whitfield preach of Christ and preach of their urgent need to repent of their sin and trust the Savior. And the first indication that he had that these tough miners were listening was when suddenly he began to see on their faces white lines coming down their faces. And he saw that their tears began to wash away the coal dust from their cheeks. And that proved to the preacher that they were really hearing the message, that they were being affected by the reality of Christ and the gospel, that they were being moved by the gospel. And many of them afterwards were asking, Sir, how can a poor sinner like me find peace with God? Those spiritually dead were being brought to life, hearing the voice of the Lord Jesus speak to their souls. And friend, here we are this night. And you are sitting there and I am urging you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you, each and every one of you, to consider this question as you are answerable to God Almighty in the day of judgment. Have you heard the voice of the Son of God speaking to you? Have you heard this gospel in reality? Is it challenging you? Is it moving you? Do you see your need to be saved? Have you heard it? You know, if you have heard it, rejoice. Because it is the best sound in the world. The blessed sound of the Son of God speaking through his word. And I know that many of you here tonight could say, thank God, I remember five years ago or ten years ago or maybe 50 years ago, I heard the voice of Jesus speaking to my heart and I trusted him. But then you say to me, well, you know, I, I've not heard it. I've not heard it. What, what should I do? Well, ask him. Ask him, say, oh, Lord, you have said in your word that you will speak to sinners in their hearts. I've never heard it, Lord. Please speak to me. And he will. Don't waste time anymore. Even as I'm speaking right now, speak to him silently in your heart and say, Oh Lord, I pray that I would hear your voice, the voice that quickens the dead and makes souls come into a state of resurrection. I want that, Lord. I want to be lifted from my dead and cold and worldly state and to be brought to know you and to know the life that is found in Christ. You see, that's what Jesus is speaking of in verse 25. Spiritual resurrection that comes through the gospel. But then, secondly tonight, what about this second resurrection in verses 28 to 29? Well, friends, even though repetition is helpful to us who can be slow at times. This is not what we find here. The Lord Jesus isn't just repeating the same thing again. In verses 28 to 29, the Lord Jesus is no longer talking about the resurrection of the soul, but the resurrection of the body. He's looking forward to a very different hour. The first hour mentioned in verse 25 is really a, a pointing to the day of Pentecost, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, thousands being converted, and since that day, millions upon millions have been converted all over the world through hearing the voice of Jesus speaking to them and to their conscience. But now in verses 28 and 29, the hour coming is not Pentecost and the outpouring of the Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel, but that solemn day which the Bible calls the day of judgment. 
the day when every soul of man and every individual who has ever lived must appear before God. And the Lord Jesus says in verses 28 to 29 that there is going to be another resurrection on that day, a resurrection not of the soul but of the body. And you say, well, how can you prove it's the body? Well, if you look carefully at the text, you'll see it. Don't marvel at this, he says. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth in resurrection. He means everybody. And you will be there and I will be there. Nobody can absent himself from the resurrection day. You know, many are trying to hide from God in this life. They try to forget God and do as they please and ignore the means of grace and never hear the gospel. Many trying to bury themselves in the pleasures of this life or in work or what this life has got to offer. But the Bible says that all will appear before God in the end. Not one will be missing. Not a single one. They will all come out of the ground like worms of the earth. They will come out and they will go up and they will appear before God. As sure as you and I are breathing now, you will be there. And so will we all be there. And Christ says that there is going to be this resurrection, all who are in the graves. And you say, well, who is going to get them out of those graves? You know, people laugh at this type of thing, don't they? If you speak to people outside, they hear such things and they think, well, what a nonsense. And sometimes you speak to those and they say, well, you know, how stupid to believe this type of thing and try and come up with all manner of obstacles. And so you get arguments. I remember a, a common one from uh, being on the open air and things like, you know, what if a person died at sea, they say. What if a person died at sea and then their body is eaten by sharks and then in turn, you know, they themselves are eaten and so on. And so you're utterly ridiculous to think that parts of that body could be found and, and reassembled together. And that proves that this is all a nonsense. And they say, that's the end of it. Well, the answer is very simple. And it's found right here in our text. The voice of the Son of God will raise them. All those atoms, whatever they are, will all be brought together and everybody's atoms will come together in this resurrection because Jesus is the Son of God. And his word can overcome all of those things. And that's what he says here. He's telling us this for a very good reason. And that is that all of us must prepare for this day. You know, think when you're going to have a serious event in your life, you prepare for it, whatever it is. You know, imagine if you found out in the next couple of days that You've got a very serious condition and you need urgent surgery. It will concentrate your mind. You know, you think about every aspect of your life and of the future and of the past and have I made a will and are my affairs in place? What will happen if I die? Concentrates the mind. Well, on an even greater scale, you know, should we not be preparing for this final resurrection? When body and soul will come out of the grave and when you will appear before your judge. Ought you not to prepare now for that day? And you say, well, how do I prepare? By listening to the voice of the Son of God speaking of the gospel and saying to you, it's time that you awoke out of your long sleep, time that you woke up to the gravity of your condition without God in this world. You know, without grace, 
living for the things of this life which are soon to pass away as you are soon to pass away from this whole world, is it not madness to live without this one thing necessary? You know, the Bible doesn't tell you that you need a hundred things. It doesn't say, well, you know, you need to go from here to some far-off river in the Far East and bathe in the waters of this place or that. It doesn't say that you've got to go on to pilgrimages to you know, holy sites and all the rest of it or some remote place where you've got to go and find a shrine. doesn't tell you to do that. It tells you that here and now, in your own soul, you need to get right with God. And you do so by seeking the Lord and desiring his mercy and his favor and his kindness to you right now. Because in the real gospel, the biblical gospel, there is one thing necessary, only one thing needful, that you should come to know Jesus Christ for yourself. You know, one preacher I heard recently used another illustration. It happened to be, again, from the life of George Whitfield, who I mentioned earlier. And uh, this remarkable preacher, great man of God, on one occasion, he was staying with a very wealthy gentleman who had this huge house. And uh, this man was very kind to Christians, but he was not a Christian himself. And so Whitfield was invited to stay with this man for a number of days as he went about his work. And before he left, he felt compelled that he should say something to this man about his urgent need to get right with God through Christ. Now, he didn't want to cause unnecessary confrontation. He was trying to think of the most tactful way that he could bring the gospel into this conversation and to, to challenge this man. So what could he do? Well, I can guarantee, unless you know the account, that you won't come up with the answer that he did. Because I'll tell you what he did. He found a diamond ring in the bedroom where he was staying in this man's house. And with the diamond ring, he went to the window of the bedroom and he wrote some words by scratching it into the glass of the window. And uh, when he'd written the words on the glass, he put the ring back in its place and he packed his bag and he went downstairs and he, he shook the gentleman by the hand and thanked him profusely for his hospitality and for his kindness and all those things. And then Whitfield went on his way on horseback or, or something. And when he had gone, the man who owned the house did what we all would do. You know, he went to the bedroom where his guest had been staying. Not to see if everything was there, but to see that everything was in its place and obviously to change the bed and wash any other items, etc. But he looked around and he saw that everything in the bedroom was immaculate. Everything was in place. But then he thought to himself, hold on. He said, I, I've never seen those scratches on the window before. And so he walked across and he read these words scratched into the glass. One thing thou lackest. Mark 10, 21. One thing you do not have. One thing you lack. That poignant text. And you know, it went like a dart to the man's soul. And suddenly as he read those words, he came under deep conviction. He had money. He was kind to the Lord's people. In the world's eyes, he was a, a good man. He did good things. But one thing he lacked, the most important thing, he did not have Christ. And he felt the force of that word. And he heard in that way the voice of the Son of God. And he trusted Christ for himself. 
Now, just a disclaimer, I'm not advocating vandalism. So there. But you know, if at the end, when the resurrection takes place, if the bodies or souls of everybody went to the heaven, you know, there'd be no need for us to worry. You know, if, you know, you hear that often, don't you? And sadly it comes, you know, people say, oh, well, we'll all get there in the end. We'll all be okay in the end. We'll all be all right. We'll all end up in heaven. That's where we're going. That's the mantra of so many today. It's not what Jesus says. Verse 29, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now that in itself needs clarifying because there are some who go very wrong there. The only way a person can be deemed in God's sight to have done good is if they're in Christ. We cannot do anything good in ourselves as sinners. Our motives are always flawed, always wrong. You know, we might do something which outwardly seems good, but our motive is not right. And so Jesus is certainly not, you know, saying that there is a way to be saved through good works. Until our motive is to glorify God and to honor Jesus Christ, nothing is good. Isaiah 64, we are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness are like filthy rags. You know, that is the way that it is. That is the way that we are. It's like a bundle of worthlessness until we become children of God. Even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags until we come to believe in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is not teaching that our own efforts determine our eternal future. Jesus taught that salvation is, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent, John 6. The works that show themselves in the life of the believer that can be labeled good are the fruit of the grace of God in the life of the believer. Those who believe in the Son will be doing the work of God. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, Paul makes it clear in his letter to the Romans that those who attain to the resurrection of the righteous don't do so because of their own merits or because they've earned it, because, you know, somehow they're good enough, but because of their union with the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. And so those only who are in Christ will be found to be good in that sense because the righteousness of Christ will have been given to them, is imputed to them. So there is the hope of resurrection to life only for those in Christ. But he also says that those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And my dear friend, I am bound to tell you, although I take no pleasure in it, it's one of the hardest things to say, but I am answerable to God for everything that I say and what I preach. And with great sorrow and great concern for you, I have to tell you that if you die without Christ, you'll be condemned in the resurrection. I'm simply stating the truth that the Son of God states here, this loving, gracious Savior. And in the resurrection, he says, if people have not had their souls resurrected spiritually in this life, then when their bodies are resurrected at the end, it is a resurrection of damnation. They'll be eternally damned by God, and rightly so for their sin and rebellion. And you may say, well, that's so harsh. But friend, God is infinitely holy. And we are sinners and we all deserve this condemnation. I deserve it as much as anyone who ever lived. We all deserve it. 
But when you see that it is so, when you turn to Christ by faith and trust in the blood that he shed on the cross, here is the wonderful thing. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so if we repent of our sin and if we run to Jesus, we can be delivered. We can be saved and forgiven. We can have everlasting life and hope. But if we harden our hearts, if we refuse the gospel, if we defend our own sin and our own rightness, then we will face condemnation. It is so simple. You need that first resurrection in your heart to hear the call of the gospel and to be given grace to repent and believe. And as I close, if you have not given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have been wrong. Repentance is that turning around and confessing to the Lord, I have been wrong, Lord, to sin against you, to rebel against you. Please have mercy upon me. And the wonderful thing is, thank God, that it is not too late. God has given you this opportunity this night to face this truth and this opportunity to turn to Jesus Christ. Don't say, oh, you know, I'm too young, I'll think about it later, or I'm too old, I, I can't be doing with those things now, or, or I'm too busy. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And Jesus is able to save to the uttermost all that call upon his name. And if you turn to him, and if you listen to his voice speaking in the gospel, he will make you blessed above all that you could imagine or ask or even think, and you will bless God Almighty for the day when you listen and when you trust him and believe the gospel. Will you hear? Will you believe this night? If so, you will know the blessing of that first spiritual resurrection and you'll have that certain hope of the glorious resurrection to come. You know, Charles Wesley knew it. He knew that spiritual resurrection and he wrote of it in this final hymn that we're going to sing. He said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Spiritual resurrection. And my dear friend, you can know it too if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. May you do it for his glory. Amen.